Well, I'm deal with the loss of Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know, being a Lakers fan, a sports fan, it's weird. I, I heard somebody say this. Actually, another pastor said this, and I, I, I told some other people. The only people whose death has impacted me like this that I've seen as wide-ranging was uh, President Kennedy when he was shot and Princess Diane when she died. And, um, and as I'm working through this, I'm watching people talk about Kobe's life. And, and one of the things that really struck me this week was that through the tears and the sadness of these world-class athletes, the thing that has been most important to them is relationships, not championships. And as they talk about Kobe's life, they start thinking about their own life. And the thing they talk about is, you know, I need to, um, I need to tell the people around me that I love them. I heard Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, you know, 7'1", 340 pounds. He said, you know what, I, he says, I, I've got some people in my life that I've, I'm at odds with. And I need to patch that up. And I just need to tell them that I love them. And another basketball player, Paul Pierce, he, was, he played against the Lakers' arch rival, which is the Boston Celtics. And he was a friend of Kobe's. And he said, you know, I, I went and saw my mom recently. And he's been estranged from his dad his whole life. And he says, he asked his mom, do you think there's a chance that I could patch things up with dad? Isn't that amazing? You know, these guys are just amazing athletes. They're so competitive. They are, they're alpha dogs. You know, they're these macho guys. And when, and when you strip everything away from their life and it's just them standing there looking at life raw, it's not about all this accomplishment on a basketball court. It's about right now being in relationship with people. And I love it when something happens in our culture that makes the truth just shine. It's like the sun breaking through storm clouds and all of a sudden we're seeing clearly, yeah, this is what life's about. It's about relationships. It's not about all this other stuff. And, and you know, when we th- they're getting it. These guys are getting it. And, and the thing is, though, when we talk about relationships and love, a lot of us don't know, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? What does it mean to be, you know, to be in love or to love somebody or to patch something up? You, it's kind of like, you know, nailing gel to a wall. And you try to nail love to the wall of your heart. It's like jello it just falls off because there's no definition to it. There's no substance to it. You know, think of the pop songs. And I'm going back. I'm dating myself. But songs like, you know, feelings, nothing more than feelings, you know. I'm down of my life. You know, it's all about, it's feelings, feelings. Or, you know, you're, you're, uh, you are so beautiful to me. You're everything I hope for and everything I dream. You know, it's, it's my desire. You're going to fulfill something in my life. That's what love is. And so it goes on and on with love songs. You know, number one theme in, in pop is just love. And yet, pop love hasn't worked real well in the lives of the pop writers and singers. Because they haven't done well in marriage. You know, they haven't done well in relationships. So, pop love is not the kind of love that we're looking at when we say we need to love people. Now, thankfully, again, God in his just being who he is, he's defined for us what love is. He's given us something to hang on to. It's not jello. It's got substance. It's more like spaghetti and meatballs. You know, it's going to stick to your ribs. Um, and so I want to look at these, just something, one aspect of love this morning. Because there's a lot to it. Like, like the psalmist said, you know, God's unfailing love is priceless. 
So his love never fails, and it's worth so much you can't even put a price tag on it. So I, wanna, I want us to look at a little bit of what God's word says about love. First of all, 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Stop right there. Love originates with God. God is the artesian spring of love. If there was no God, there'd be no love. We wouldn't even be talking about this. So even though, you know, our culture a lot of time doesn't get it, but at least they get this much, that there's something called love that's really important in life. We don't always understand it or practice it, but love is in the air. And love is in the air because God is here. God is in the heavens. And he's pouring that out. It says his love fills the whole earth. And people kind of have a sense of it. And it's here. But still, that's not a real good definition. It just tells, it where, where, it just tells us where it comes from. Okay? So I want to look at um, a passage. I really like this because it's real personal about Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament. And one of the churches he wrote to, it's uh, to some people who lived in Thessalonica. And the name of the letter is Thessalonians. So it's the Christians who live in Thessalonica. And in the second chapter, I'm going to start in verse 7. He says this, uh, this second part of verse 7. Just as nursing, a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So love is like a mother caring for her small children. Feeding her child, changing that child's diapers, helping her, the child to know how to walk. It's, it's, I mean, it's not a baby I'm going to want you, baby I'm going to need you type of thing from bread. You know, it's I'm going to put myself out there for you because that's what this child needs. This child needs food. This child needs to be changed. This child needs to be protected. We loved you like a mother cares for his little children. Then he goes on, he switches it. He says, we, don't only, we not only love you like a mother, we loved you like a father. So go down to verse 11. It says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So love is both like a mother and like a dad. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So encouraging and urging, that's one of the jobs of a dad is to call out of their kids the best, to challenge them to do things. Dads are normally are better at this than moms. I mean, moms sometimes do this too, of course. But it's kind of in a dad to say, okay, Johnny, you're five years old. Get up on the diving board. I'm going to jump in the deep end. I want you to jump to me, okay? I'll be here. Come on. You can do it, Johnny. Come on. Come on. Come on. You know? I mean, I was out for my kids. You can do this. Get on the baseball field. Swing that bat. You know, put the foot. Don't put your foot in the bucket. Keep that back foot. And, and just keep your eye on the ball. Swing through. Roll over that that. Right wrist, you know, boom. Just talking about how you can do this. You can, let's, let's, let's meet this challenge. Push, push, push. So there's that encouraging and urging. But here's the part I want to focus on. He also says the Father comforts. Comforting. Encouraging, comforting, urging. When we talk about comfort, what are we talking about? Because I, I did have a, a, and I looked this up some years ago because I really was into this topic. So here's, here's the switch out word, you know. All right, so comfort essentially means relief. That people, when they're comforted, get relief from their pain and their hurt 
and the damage in their life, they just, they're able to, to function again because they've received solace. Somebody's relieving the pain. Somebody's patching them up. They're soothing them. They're bringing emotional healing to them. That's what comes, and it's real. It really works. And like you can't see emotional pain, but when you're comforted, you can feel that pain leave. You can feel I'm not bleeding anymore on the inside. I, I can get back out there. You know, an example again, take you back to the Lakers. The Lakers, Kobe Bryant died two, two weeks ago today in that terrible helicopter crash with eight other people. Two days later, the Lakers had a game scheduled against the Clippers. They postponed the game. You know why? They couldn't function. They were grieving. You know, they just couldn't say, this guy has meant so much to us. He's died in this awful accident. We cannot get back on the basketball court in two days and play an NBA game. We cannot do it. And so they postponed the game. That makes total sense. If you Think about times of your greatest pain in your life and how that's impacting you and your ability to function. To go to school, to go to work, to do the job that you have to do. I mean, sometimes, isn't it like, you're, like you have no peripheral vision? You're just, I cannot, all I can do is focus on this. I can't see this or that. I mean, I've been in a car just driving. And it's like, I cannot even see out here. All I can see is straight ahead of me because of pain. That's what happens. And so the thing is, what do we do with that pain? We need to be comforted. We need to have that relieved. We need to be... Fun- Patched up so we can function again. The Bible has a lot of examples of many people being comforted, relieved of their pain. It's all, all kinds of situations. There's minor, there's major pain. You know, uh, one of them is like, I have a terrible job. I hate my job. I'm so miserable in my job. And, and, the, and the parents have a little boy. And they say, this boy is going to give us comfort in the midst of our terrible jobs. You know who that was? You know what the name of this, this guy has a name. And his name means comfort. It sounds like it for the Hebrew. Noah. Noah. Noah means comfort. Because his parents had a terrible job. They hated life. It was so miserable. They have a little boy. He's going to comfort us in our pain. And then we have uh, Ruth. She's a widow. God comforted her. Here she is looking. I don't know how I'm going to survive. I don't have a husband. My mother-in-law doesn't have a husband. I'm living in a foreign land. God, how are you going to help me through this? And, and she says, God, you comforted me. She received comfort. David. He had an affair with Bathsheba. And out of that affair, he has a little baby. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, David, you've sinned. You've committed adultery and you killed her husband. Because of that, the baby in her womb is going to die. And David prayed, no, 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 the baby's you know, born and he's dying. And he's, no, 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 God. So he's just pouring himself out and finally the baby dies. And then and it says after the baby dies, David gets up and he goes to comfort his wife Bathsheba. He married her since then. Married her, and then he had sex with her. That was one way that a husband and wife actually comforted each other. And then there's the instance of uh, people having intense spiritual, I mean, I mean, physical and emotional pain like Job that received comfort. Their sister mourning for, the, mourning for their brother Lazarus being comforted. There's a guy who committed this terrible sexual sin in the early church in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, and God comforted him. And he told the people, go comfort this guy. We don't want to lose him. So comfort was available to anyone going through any kind of pain. Love does that because that's what people need when they're hurting. They need to be repaired. They need to be relieved of the, of the heartache that they're going through. 
You know, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. That is such good news. And, and maybe if you haven't experienced major pain in your life, maybe you don't get it. But you, if you have experienced major pain in your life, you get it. You know how much you need this. Now, is there something wrong or weak or wimpy or unspiritual about hurting emotionally? Not at all. God did not scold these people, but he entered into their wounded hearts. And he did it and he does it in concrete ways. For example, again, going to Job, you might have a, you might have, a person might have a special place that they go to. And, and Job says a couch. He goes to a special a couch and he has this couch and he finds comfort on that couch. You know, for some people it might be going and sitting under a tree and watching the ducks swim. Or you have a place that you walk. I mean, I've got a place in Santa Rosa that I love to go. And it's like whenever I, really, I need to meet with God, it's just me and him. And, and it's like I've got this place. And it took me years to find it. But it's like, it's just sweet. Something happens when I go to that place. And sometimes you might find a place that you go to find relief from your pain. But there's also other things like um, receiving comfort through food and gifts. That's why we have meals after funerals. That's a legitimate way to help us find relief from our loss of a loved one. And Job, actually, after all the loss he suffered, physical pain, his children died. I mean, he's just miserable, lost all of his wealth. At the end of all that, the people came, his his new family. He had some more kids. They came and they comforted him. They gave him gold and they gave him silver and they gave him food. Food and gifts. Or it might be a baby, like Noah was for his parents. This little baby is going to comfort them. Or it might be uh, being comforted through those who've had the same kind of pain as you've had. That's why your place of pain and hurt it can be your greatest place of ministry. Because you understand what a person's going through who's going through that. Because you've been there. And also, like I said earlier, in marriage sometimes it's comfort sex. A man and a wife comes together to comfort each other in their pain and their, and their hurt. Now, think about this in the context of marriage. Husbands and wives become one, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. There's a mingling of souls in marriage. They need to connect at the emotional level. How can they do that? How can a a husband and wife connect more strongly? Well, one way is to comfort each other. Friends can do this for each other. That's how you can grow in friendship is by comforting and relieving the pain of one another. Church family can do this. We should do this for each other. When we provide this kind of comfort, we grow closer. There's a bond that's formed when we do this. This exercise of love does at least two things. Number one, it relieves pain so people can function again. And number two, it draws people together. And if we don't do it, I've got on your notes, this is quite, this is pretty impressive. You should just look at this. Okay. It's like, wow, how'd you do that? Well, Jenny did it on the computer. I'm thinking, how'd she do all that? But I want you to look at this diagram. Because this is the reality of what happens in our lives, whether we're comforted or not, okay? Everybody has negative feelings in childhood. Everybody at school, you get spanked when you shouldn't have got spanked. We get yelled at when you shouldn't have been yelled at. You know, you have kids and, you know, things happen at school. I mean, I remember thinking, oh, I hope I don't get a pink belly. My brother used to tell me in junior high, they'd take kids in the bathroom, pull their shirt up, and just smack them on the stomach over and over and over and over and over, or take a shoe and do it. By the time I got to junior high, they weren't doing that. And I was so grateful. 
But they did, you know, stick their heads in the toilet. They getting canned. I mean, I had three upperclassmen, you know, catch me after school my freshman year, and they were they were going to either throw me in mud or can me the next day. They said, "Which one do you want?" I was thinking, "Why don't you can me tomorrow?" No, you're going to go in the ditch right now. You know. <laughs> oh, that's another story. It was uh, um, anyway. But I, I went home, I got home just shaking like this. Uh, you know, stuff like that happens all the time. We get hurt. Kids get hurt, hurt on social media. All the time. And we got to do something with that. that. That's real. So here we have real negative feelings in childhood. What what's happens when there's inadequate comfort? You don't get relieved of the pain. First of all, you become dysfunctional in some way. You don't function the way you're supposed to function because you're hurting. And then what, what also happens, it affects our relationships. We have a weaker bond to other people. Because that pain can lead to a tighter bond with people if we get comfort and relief. But if we don't, we don't have that tie. Then we have an unhealthy love style. We grow up, we get married, we wonder what's wrong. One of the things that's wrong is we have an unhealthy love style from not being comforted. We developed, we, we kind of went wiggy. And the last thing is you have a weaker relationship. You have a poorer marriage because you don't have that bond. Now, if you get comforted, you get relieved of your pain, then you're going to be functioning better. And then you're going to have an emotional bond to other people who, who help to comfort you. You're going to have a healthier love style going into significant relationships, and you're going to have stronger relationships because of it. Um, you know, so much of the backlash in people's lives comes from simply not feeling and dealing. Folks, this is huge. Uh, you know, I've talked about this before. Uh, because I've seen how it's impacted my life. My family was not good at feeling and dealing. And as I've evaluated my life, you know, and that's affected me as a husband and as a father, that I, I would have been a better dad, I would have been a better husband, had I had more comfort in my life. You know, think about it for yourself. Can you think of, how many incidents can you think going back in your childhood where you were comforted? What stands out in your mind? Hmm. You know, I've got a couple. My mom putting Vicks Vapor Rub when I was sick and that little kerchief around my neck. I love that. I smell some Vicks Vapor Rub and I just, oh, that feel, I just feel comforted. And the, and the day, it's not a lot, but I remember my dad, I, came, I got cut from the freshman basketball team. It was my dream to be, you know, a great basketball player. And I got cut. I came home and I'm just, I'm just depressed. And it's a gloomy day outside. It's drizzly in Southern California. I'm lying on the couch. I'm not doing anything. And, and, and I don't know what to do with this pain and my sadness. And I remember my dad was an athlete. And he understood, you know, sports dreams. And he said, Rick, what's wrong? And I said, I got cut. And I remember he just had this look on. He didn't really say much. It just was a look on his face. Like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And that meant a lot. That's my memory of being comforted. That's what I remember. And it touched me. You know, so much of the, the, the stuff that's going on, I, I think it would be pretty hard to estimate just how much the costs have been to our country from people not feeling and dealing. From the drug and alcohol abuse, all the stuff that's going on around our city, folks, not feeling and dealing to overeating and the health problems related to that, to divorce and the fallout in children's lives, to gangs. Gangs is a lot about not doing bad stuff. A lot about gangs is about having a family. And they don't have a biological, they don't feel that connection to their biological family, so they go find it in a gang. 
which leads to crime. I mean, billion, at least billions of dollars is spent on the fact that we do not know how to feel and deal in our country. I was just, you know, be, I read this article yesterday about James Taylor, the great singer-songwriter. You know, you don't spit in Superman's face. You don't, you know, you don't pull on Superman. You don't pull on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You don't pull the mask of the Lone, Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around with Jim. And other ones, you know, you know, great singer-songwriter, James Taylor, one of my favorites, 60s and 70s. The guy's still going strong. Well, James Taylor, get this, his parents divorced. And then he had problems from that. He ended up in a psych ward for like nine months from that, not feeling and dealing. Then he starts a band. The band flops. Then he, he has a heroin addiction. As a result of the failure of his band. He gets married to Carly Simon. The marriage blows up because of his heroin addiction. He says nobody should ever be married to an addict. I mean, what it did to his, it ruined his marriage. That's just one of millions and millions of stories, okay, of how this affects us. The destructive tentacles of a comfort-deprived culture reach far and wide. So we really need to take this seriously for the sake of our families, the church, the community. And I don't know if you're a macho guy. You need to take this seriously. Women, I think, have an easier time with this than guys. But we need to deal with this. This is big time. and It's a big time problem. But how do we do it? For most of us, this is very awkward and uncomfortable. And I will testify to that. I actually read a book on this topic. And it had at the back exercises. And I did all 12 exercises. I said, I've, I, need, I need to improve. In the, I need to grow in this area. And so I, I went through it. So it's, it does feel uncomfortable. Um, because we've developed unha- unhealthy patterns of loving each other. So things like um, there are people who are avoiders of pain. They don't want to deal with it. That was me. You know, I, I realized I dealt with my pain through the piano and music. I mean, I feel something deeply when I play the piano. And a lot of it was just dealing with pain in my life. Other people please everyone. They have a lot of anxiety. And they, they've not been comforted. They have this anxiety level. And so they please people to drop the anxiety level in their, in their soul. Other people do the thing of being a victim. They're a victim all the time. And other people, and these two tend to marry each other. This person becomes a controller. They control their environment around them. So they don't ever get hurt again. Yeah, when I was a little boy, 10 years old, you can do that to me. But I made a vow, you're never going to do that to me again. I turned 21, I turned 25, you're not, you're not going to do that. And they control their environment. So, what can we do? And I've got, again, on your notes, there's a thing called the comfort circle. And I, I highly recommend this, all right? Because you're going to hurt, people around you are going to hurt. It's just going to happen. It's the world we live in. This is a sin-stained and broken world. And, and here's what we do. Number one, first of all, we seek awareness. Seek awareness of feelings and the underlying needs. You know, how you, it's a simple question. How are you feeling? You know, I, I, for years, I didn't even know you could ask that question about feelings. My question was always, how are you doing? What happened today was always about action. It was never about feeling. We get to the comfort thing. We got to start with, well, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm okay. Really? And you might pick up something, maybe it's not so okay, and you might be able to go deeper. Or the person says, I'm not feeling good. And then you start to you get, do the next step, which is engage them. 
with feelings and acknowledge their needs openly. Okay, the person needs just to talk about that. Here's what I'm feeling, and kind of this is what's happening. This is why. And that's kind of related to the next one, which is explore. So you seek awareness, you engage, and you explore their thoughts, feelings, by listening, validating, and just concluding. What do you need? What do you need from me? You know, is there anything? And the last part of that circle is to resolve the needs. You resolve it. You just kind of say, um, sometimes if a person's dealing with major loss and grief, perhaps a death, Sometimes all that's needed is to go and sit with them and not say anything, depending on what's going on. Sometimes you just sit. In fact, when Job, his friends started off good, those guys, who, he, he was going through a terrible time. It said for seven days, those friends just sat with him. They didn't say anything. Seven days. Then they started saying things that hurt, but before that, they they. We're doing good. So, you know, you might need to just, hey, can, you need a hug? Can I hug you? Anything that I can say, anything that I can do? Um, how can we help to resolve this whole thing? Because we really need to do this. And, and the beautiful thing about it is that how, how it bonds you to people. I was at a, a workshop in San Diego. Beautiful Point Loma Nazarene University. Oh, if you've ever been there. If you haven't been there, check it out. It's like, Wow. I hadn't been there in a while. It's, it's, you look, you, you, you'll overlook the Pacific Ocean on the campus. Some of the best surfing in San Diego is at Point Loma. And it's just a beautiful campus. So we're down there. I'm with a bunch of, I guess, old dude pastors. I got, I'm 60, so I got invited to this workshop for older guys. Look like, okay, I can't ignore it. So I go down there, and we're dealing with all these things that older guys deal with. You know, your, your legacy... And, and, and how you're going to transition and all this stuff and finances and relationships. And one of the things that we were talking about was grief. And so there's about 12 pastors. And while we're sitting around, and it's not really anybody teaching us, but we're just sharing from our lives together. And uh, four of the guys came to find out had lost their wives. They died. And, and here I am, just to see the progress I've made. Because nobody else followed up on this, but I thought, I want to hear more about that, their grief. Because the older you get, the closer you get to losing your peers. I mean, grief becomes a big thing. There's minor loss physically. You lose abilities to do things. And, you know, things don't work out maybe the way you want it to in life. And people die. And it's like, well, these guys have walked through it. Four guys have lost their wives. And so I said, I would like to hear from you guys who, whose wives died. Was there anything that you could have done to prepare for that? And do you have any counsel for us? And one of the guys um, said, you know, my wife, one of the guys' wife uh, was diagnosed with leukemia on Monday morning. The next Monday she was dead. Within a week she was just gone. And this other pastor said, um, my wife just kind of slipped away and she never came back. And, she, and he says, my biggest regret is that I never got to say goodbye. And he was, he was crying. You know, he was taking his glass. He just stopped. He couldn't talk anymore. And another guy, older man, 78 years old. In fact, he's kind of was a high-powered guy in the whole Christian music industry. I found, I found out later, this guy, I know his companies that he started. And he said, I still reach for my wife and expect to touch her arm and it's not there. 
They, and they basically said, you know what? You can't prepare for it. It'll hurt more than you imagine, can imagine. And they said, just enjoy every day. Every day is a gift. And you know, after that, and it was, it was in, in all the time that we spent two days together, it was that moment, in my opinion, that was the most tender. You could feel the atmosphere change when they started talking about their loss. And I felt more connected to those pastors after we had that discussion than before. There was something inside of me that just went, one of these guys was kind of my chauffeur. I was riding with him from the hotel to the campus. And we would just talk. When his wife died, he had eight kids, eight children. And just to talk, you know, and there's something that is so important. And we need to just be aware of this and, and be, you know, really building our relationships, you know. A love like that that says, I will be there for you when you go through your pain. And hopefully you'll be there for me. And um, we'll, we'll get through this and we'll be healthy and we'll thrive, and we'll get back on the court. We'll be able to play again, because it's really going to be patched up. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. It's like, how can you be happy if you're mourning? That doesn't make any sense. What? And Jesus said, because you're going to be comforted. You're going to be relieved of your pain. Really relieved. Not masking it with drugs and alcohol, with food, with sex, with all this other stuff, with porn. No. You're going to really be relieved because the Spirit of God is going to relieve you and put you back together. And once you're relieved, you're going to get back on there. You're going to be tighter with people. You're going to be an instrument for healing other people. Because all that good stuff's going to happen. You are blessed when you're in the kingdom of God when you're mourning. Because true relief is on its way. I just want to challenge us to love like that. Let's love like that. Let's just say, every, every, all the men, you have a license to be tenderhearted. You have a license to deal with emotion. And let's do it. Father, we thank you that you love us like a mother caring for her children. We thank you that you love us like a dad comforting his sons and daughters. And Father, we, we need to receive real comfort. We need to receive real relief from pain. And we ask you to do that. Lord, do it through the people you bring across our path. Um, do it through your truth. Do it through your spirit. But Lord, I pray that, that as we go forward, we would not be living with these unresolved hurts. You'd help to stop the bleeding inside that we could get up and live the way that you've called us to live, that we would be more strongly bonded to the people around us because we're sharing these hurts together and relieving each other of the hurts. And Lord, that we would be a, a more useful tool in your hand to help other people who are grow, going through these kinds of pains. Thank you, God, that these things are not beyond your repair. Father, thank you for each person that's here. You just pray your touch on their bodies, but Lord, your touch on their hearts. And for anything from childhood, from the teen years, young adult years, whatever, that you would be working to bring healing to that and newness of life through it. Thank you, God. We believe it's true. We invite you to do it. 
And we look forward to what the future holds as a result. And we ask it all in Jesus' comforting name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you and be with you.